Thank you very much. Hashtag SAFM Talking Point. Yeah, I mean, that conversation it was incredibly enlightening, you know, in terms of what is happening in, in an area like the Tsobotla municipality. But just the, the sense of things being abandoned to that extent and that corruption can take place in broad daylight. No answers, no accountability. You have leaders that have gone to ground, nowhere to be found. In the middle of a crisis, they are nowhere to be found. And that's part of the problem. It is absolutely part of, of the problem of, of why we have the kind of collapse of some of these municipalities that we are seeing. So if something breaks, their vehicles have been auctioned. If there's a water, is there, if there's a water pipe burst, how long will it take to fix that? They don't have vehicles to get there now. So what happens? You heard from from one of the workers telling us that, you know, there was an auction yesterday where some of the municipalities' assets were auctioned off. It, it is absolutely jaw dropping, unbelievable. Um, we will, of course, continue to follow up on that story. And I think, yeah, the next best place to take it to is to the national government because the province also does not want to come on air to at least help us understand what is happening there. We're going to turn our attention to this now and we're looking at the impact of mining on children. We're looking at a study that um, was commissioned by the Benchmark Foundation and NGO Save the Children and they're outlining in particular some of the health complications that children are experiencing among other uh, diseases as a result of the mining that is taking place in their areas and they focus specifically on the Machabeng municipality but of course they believe that their findings are comparative with what one will find in other mining towns. Gugu Gaba is the interim CEO and program director, Save the Children South Africa. Gugu, good morning to you. Good morning, Katie, and good morning to your listeners. It's an interesting piece of research that um, you have done alongside the Benchmark Foundation. And you, this week is Child Protection Week. If anything, mm-hmm. um, we are falling by the wayside as a country in terms of how how far we go in protecting children. Often, we don't look at children in mining towns as being individually affected by the impact of of mining that is taking place in the area. Yes, definitely, Katie. That's the case. And I think it's the same attitude that say the children have been trying to warn South Africa about that uh, in any situation that we are dealing with, as long as there's an adult, there's a child that is going to be affected. That is why this study is even showing us that children in those mining communities are born with birth deformities and disabilities that now we need to be taken care of. And yet we acted like no child exists. And yet as long as there's a man and a woman, there will be a child. And so the mining has affected them and we remain with the lifelong uh, challenges of mining. So what were you specifically looking at in this report, Gugu? Okay. Thank you for the question. We were looking at the effects. 
remember, uh, South Africa has signed up to the United Nations Child Rights uh, Convention. And one of the principles are on child rights business principles. And there are obligations that the country has on respecting the rights of children and protecting infringements of those rights as we implement business. So now what we were looking at, we saw that this is a business community and the business is mining. What kind of benefits are children getting out of being in that community or what kinds of challenges are children experiencing? So the study was looking at what are the effects? Let's look at the good and the bad, basically. I want to explore some of the themes that you covered in the study. Um, mm-hmm. Let's begin with the children with birth deformities and disabilities. What did you find there? Okay. It was find that, found that some of the children are born with neuro defects. And those neural defects lead to a child being born with what we call encephalopathy. And it is because maybe the mother inhaled some of the chemicals and it led to a, a deformity in the genetic makeup that then gives birth to a child that ends up being a, unable to walk, like paralyzed maybe fully or partly. So that's one of the deformities that were identified. And you also looked at the the issue of asbestos roofs and and, and the impact of that on children. Yes, we did. And as you know, uh, in Majabeng specifically, the buildings that are there, both in Belkom and in in some parts of um, maybe Belkom, uh, uh, you find you still found the asbestos buildings, uh, uh, roofings, and we know that asbestosis is born out of these kinds of roofing. As this asbestos gets corrupt, it emits a chemical that affects the respiratory tract of. Uh, the individuals that are living in that house. And that also was found in that community. Thank you. All right. You're hearing from Gugu Gaba. She's with Save the Children South Africa. And this is just some of the findings of the research uh, that has been conducted, looking at the impact of mining on children. After this break, I'll bring David van Veek, who's a lead researcher at the Benchmark Foundation, to also help us understand further uh, just what these findings reveal. Conversations that you connect with and react to. SAFM. We continue the conversation on the talking point. We're looking at uh, the impact of mining on children. David van Veek is with the Benchmark Foundation. And David, you are a lead researcher there and have also been crucial in the collation and the putting together of this latest research. Um, Gugu has taken us through some of the findings and uh, some of them, of course, are are linked to matters of of health. And this often can be a contentious area because mining houses will dispute matters of causality um, that it's not necessarily as a result of their mining activity that one ends up with some of these 
the, the impact of, of, of deteriorating health or even the development of health conditions that, that people may face. So how, how did you deal with that when you approached this research? Okay, right. Um, we, we've done similar studies in Soweto, uh, in, in the Vili, uh, even in as far away as Zambia. And um, in doing these in doing these studies, we have um, in doing in doing these studies, we have um, found the same problems in all these mining areas. And then we've done control studies where there's no mining, for example, in Mahikeng. Okay. Now we then compared uh, from a household health survey the levels of respiratory problems, the levels of eye problems, the levels of, of skin problems, uh, the levels of disability, and so on, uh, with the control area where there's no mining and then the areas where there is mining, right? Um, apart from that, we are also involved in a study with the National Institute of Occupational Health at the moment in the Rivoli area where we have tested where we have tested dust and um, we have tested uh, 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 samples from, from residents and we've also tested the, 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 the mine dumps themselves. So we've looked at dust in people's houses, we've looked at dust on the mine dumps, and then we've looked at whether the toxins that are contained in the dust is also found in the human body, right? Um, and uh, the mining companies denied for a very long time that their dust caused silicosis. It took years and years of court cases for them to get to an out-of-court settlement of 5 billion rands where they agreed that they would pay compensation to 500,000 mine workers. Now, a mine fence does not stop dust. So it doesn't mean that when you are inside the mine, you can get silicosis. The moment you walk outside of the fence, you are not going to get silicosis. Um, um, you know, so, so uh, really, uh, it is time that in this country for the medical fraternity to stop being in collusion with the mining companies and begin to actually look at the protection of the citizens of this country and their rights to a healthy and safe environment. Sure. Isn't it telling? Isn't it telling that in apartheid spatial planning, it was always black communities that were put next to mine dumps, never white communities. And you can look throughout the country where there's mining. The white suburbs are usually located far and upwind from the mines. The black communities are always late, uh, uh, are always near and 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 in the shadow of, of of mines and on the wrong side of the wind. David, yeah. uh, ultimately, yeah. work like what you have produced is yeah. meant to trigger a response that requires yes. intervention, right? Not only yes. on the part of those that would s consider uh, themselves as victims of this mining activity, yes. but also on yes. the part of the mining companies themselves. And yes. I'm yes. so glad you brought out brought up the silicosis matter because it's part of the reason why I framed the question in the way that I did, that it takes yes. so long and, and often yes. mining companies are the first to try yes. and prove why they can't be held accountable accountable uh, for yes. the development of, of, of health conditions or, or the state of people's health in, in certain areas. What do you believe that this research 
brings that that is different to the table that can empower those who do perhaps want to take further steps to go ahead and do that? Well, I think that uh, first and foremost, uh, we we are giving uh, room for communities who under apartheid were not allowed to protest and speak to begin to speak and protest about the conditions that they find themselves in. You know, I'm, 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 and and we 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 when we work with near mine communities, we work with them and we don't speak for them. We try to bring out what their concerns are uh, to the general public. Secondly, we try to help them to become organised. You know, normally when communities are angry, they throw stones or they or they protest and so on. And then when you get to the negotiation table, they've got nothing to put on the table. What this research does is that when communities uh, are concerned, they are able to get to the table and they are able to say, this is the research that has been done and this is what we have found and this is what we think you need to address. Um, You know, so it allows for, it allows for, a higher level of engagement rather than just throwing stones and 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 and, and rioting mm. when i look at some of the recommendations that you've put together yeah. it yeah. speaks to um the provision of of healthcare services but yeah. also how data is stored at yeah. um you know whether it's clinics or or uh, the offices of medical practitioners mm-hmm. who would be attending um, mm-hmm. to some of these children more specifically, uh, you know, referencing your research. A- and that seems to be a big problem. But again, it's that kind of evidence that in the long run can be crucial uh, on matters of, of, of culpability and, and responsibility or over health issues. Well, yes, I think that um, it is critically important to note that in Botswana, you can get statistics by town. And when we did our research in the Botswana area, we found, for example, that HIV AIDS is double the levels of of towns that are non-mining towns. And the transport routes are are conduits for HIV and AIDS. Now in South Africa, uh, Statistics South Africa, as well as the uh, Department of Health issue health, health statistics by district and not by town. This, in effect, in effect, then clouds the issue because you cannot distinguish what is the impact of mining on people's health uh, to uh, that uh, of, of, of non-mining areas. You know, we really need to have statistics, not even just by town. We need them by suburb and clinic as well. You know, um, when we approach clinics and so on, we are told that they cannot give us statistics of what is going on in the area where they are. We have to approach the provincial government. And when we get to the provincial government, all they can do is to provide us uh, for the entire Bujanala district, but they do not provide us for, let's say, Marikana, for example, or let's say uh, Chaneng, or or, or any of the other communities that are in close proximity to the mines. And that's not very helpful, and that needs to change. Gugu, let me come back to you and perhaps ask (laughs) you to, to, to tell us what do you find when you're going into um, some of these people's homes and you're finding this, these children that, um, you know, are suffering from, from various diseases um, as, as a result of, 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 of this mining? Okay. Thank you, Kathy. Kathy, mm. but 
we've got children that have chronic illnesses like the asthma that the study has picked up. And when you have a child that is asthmatic, it means you'll be spending a lot of money taking the child for treatment, and that treatment at times is far from where these people are staying. So there is a high expense due to uh, paying for treatment of asthma. There's also an inability for children to attend school. And as you know, say the children need children to be well so that they can be able to attend school. So it means there is uh, less learning because of the illnesses. Parents at times find themselves not going to work instead taking their children to to um, to clinics. And then after that, just the fact that there's mind dumps, it means there's lack of safety for the very children. And as you know, we'd like to see children in safe and secured environments. So when there is the increase of lack of safety, it means there's violence towards the child. And there's, that means we are violating their rights in all ways. And those are some of the things, Katie, that we are finding. And so it means the cycle of lack of respect for the rights of children is growing. All right. We're going to continue this conversation in a moment. It's 11.30. Time for the latest news. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue the conversation looking at the impact of mining, particularly on children. David van Veik is lead researcher at the Benchmark Foundation. Gugu Gaba is interim CEO and program director uh, for Save the Children. David, when I again look at the research and, and just how you have themed your findings, girl children are incredibly vulnerable in mining communities. Yes, indeed they are. Um, you know, the, the 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 decay of these towns as a result of the, of mine closure and abandonment uh, is incredibly bad on 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 the infrastructure, the local infrastructure. Parts of much of Beng look as if it's been in the Ukraine war. You know, buildings are are partially and completely destroyed. Things are flattened and so on. And very often, children have to walk through these areas to get to and from school. And uh, they 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 are easy targets for 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 for, for people who um, are, have violent intentions towards them. And because we have very high levels of unemployment and so on, we also have people roaming across these uh, wastelands that have been left behind uh, as as artisanal miners or zamazamas and so on. These girls then uh, easily fall prey to them. Um, the the, the levels of teenage pregnancies and so on are problematic in this particular area. Um, the, 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 the other thing, of course, is that there is a sex trade going on as well, and very often this uh, involves uh, uh, um, uh, women or children uh, who are not, uh, uh, you know, of uh, an age of consent. Um, you know, we have a lot of teenage pregnancies or, uh, you know, uh, that kind of thing happening. Um, um, there's a lot of violence also against women because of the lack of of resources. You know, very often when a household when a household um, 
uh, lacks financial resources and people struggle to pay for, for services. This leads then to arguments and conflict and violence against women and also against girl children. Um, this, 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 is, this, this is usually problematic. The other thing is that a lot of the uh, people, uh, a lot of the migrant workers had two families. They had one family in the labor sending area and then they had one, one family in the Machabeng area. And when they get retrenched, one of those families invariably gets abandoned. And and um, um, you know, as that as that as that family gets abandoned, so the children in that family uh, is affected because they can no longer pay for services, they no, can no longer pay for education and things like that, and they can no lo- no longer afford uh, the basic needs that are required for those children to uh, and for their upkeep. You know, so <clears throat> we are really really concerned about about what is happening uh, because the deterioration of the town itself uh, leads to the de- deterioration of the living standards of the inhabitants mm. of that town and, and especially of gold children. David, this, this seems to say a lot, at least to me, about the state of the social and labor plans that mining companies are, are supposed to have and the extent to which not only those plans are implemented, but in the absence of them being implemented, the the interventions that are supposed to follow when there are failures, so 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 that we don't get to the state that that we're seeing things in today. Well, yes, I think that I think that first and foremost, the Department of Mineral Resources is uh, is 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 understaffed. Uh, I think that uh, the provincial directorates and so on of that department are not coping with the monitoring of social and labor plans and their proper implementation. And then, of course, there is the matter of mine closure and abandonment, you know, because um, we really need in this country to to, to plan for concurrent and post-mining economies to make these towns viable after mining. You know, um, because uh, if we don't do that, if we don't... uh, get these mines to collectively work, not in competition with one another, not in competition with the local government, but with the local government to actually set in place economies that will last beyond mining, these towns can become viable and then the standard of life of the community as well as of its children can be looked after. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Mbowana, you're calling us from Mafikeng. Good morning. <coughs> Good morning. Yes. Yes, I wanted to ask the researcher this. As he's saying, uh, the the dumping site for the mines, that was the place for the blacks to stay. And then he did bring uh, problems for disease for the children. And we know once you kill the children, then you kill the nation. What is the way forward to avoid such killing of the nation? To happen in this current uh, government, because as he's saying, this was was happening during the apartheid, but the suffering and the dying of diseases uh, is carried on until now. What can he do as a research to see how to avoid a black person to suffer? Because now we are suffering, but we know where the solution is. Can he do something about that? Or can he tell us something about why the black people are suffering the way they are now? Mm. What is the way forward? 
David? Is, 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 is planning. We need to do planning for these mining towns. Uh, we need to manage the waste of mines better. We are responsible for 89% of uh, Africa's waste production, one country. We do 89% of all the waste in Africa. Most of that waste is mining. And the, the other thing is that we need to move away from the apartheid spatial model where poor people, the working class people, largely black indigenous people, were always located on the worst land in town, okay? Uh, where, where they were always located uh, on the wrong side of the mine dump, on the windy side of the mine dump, on the side where the water flows off the mine dump and into the community, on the side which impacts on the community the most. So we need to move away from environmental apartheid, which is still persistent in this country. You know, the allocation of space according to race and class. And it, it takes a lot of resources to be able um, to do that as well. Are we seeing that, that mining companies are, are playing their part, given just how much they actually benefit from operating in these spaces? Um, well, you see, you see, the thing is that um, in this country, I think that the, the mining companies themselves have played such a dominant role in the economy and society and politics that 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 um, you know uh, they are almost above the law, and the the fact that the Department of Mineral Resources manages health in the mining sector, manages the environment in the mining sector, manages labour in the mining sector, when all other businesses fall under respective departments, but in mining they fall under one department which is beyond the reach of the Department of the Environment, beyond the reach of the Department of Health, beyond the reach of the Department of Labour. I was in conversation just after the Marikana massacre with the DDG for, 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 for Labour, and uh, in that interview he indicated that uh, there was nothing that the Department of Labor could do because uh, the uh, mine workers do not fall under that department. They fall under the Department of Mineral Resources. When we approach the green scorpions about pollution, for example, the green scorpions tell us there's nothing they can do as mining falls under mining and not under the Department of the Environment, and so on. You know, So when we talk about health issues, that we are told that, no, we can't do anything about the health issues at the Department of Health because we did that during COVID. We did a study on migrant labor and COVID, and we found the health department telling us the Mine Health and Safety Council is responsible for health in, 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 in the mines and not the Department of Health. You see, so we've got a super department with a super law which supersedes even the constitution of the country, and that needs to be addressed. Gugu, let's deal with some of the recommendations then that you would want to see uh, mm. put in place going forward and off the back of this research. All right. Thank you very much, Kathy. Um, David Solon is saying, let's start with the Society of South Africa to educate them because some of them do not know. And it's not right that uh, we will launch the study and we'll go silent about the effects of mining on uh, the lives of children and their families. So there's need for us to increase education in all platforms. And there's need for us to ensure that the, uh, sort of the community is holding municipalities and 
the departments to account because yes they can say they have no no right to talk to another department but then it means the south african government is disrespecting rights of children so let us empower communities so that they demand their rights and make sure that uh, government is accounting for those rights because right now if children are not surviving because of ill health if children are not protected if children are not going to school we are, 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 are destroying our own community so tomorrow when inequality is increasing when poverty is increasing unemployment is increasing we act like we don't know where, the, where it's coming from and yet as a government we've contributed to that by allowing mining communities not to contribute to rehabilitating our communities to ensuring that there's reparation of some of the effects of what they have done so say the government is saying let us fix this through demanding the rights of our society and being able to account appropriately in that way we'll improve uh, the quality of their lives of our children thank you David, I'm going to wrap it up with you. Based on the research that you have done, because while the, the latest one focuses on the Machabing uh, town, there are yeah. others that you've referenced in this conversation that you have conducted, and you're picking up similar patterns on yeah. how children are affected in these mining towns. Do you foresee a situation where in future we could well face a, another um, lawsuit against the industry specifically well, looking at um, uh, looking at an area like children well I think yes um, I think definitely in terms of my uh, of, of community health and safety there is room for uh, proper scientific work to be done and once the the, 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 the the linkages are established, we find the patterns everywhere. The patterns are there for all to see. We see that in control communities, there are not similar patterns. So what are the variables in mining towns that are contributing to this? And we, we don't see these patterns in Houghton or Santon, but we do see them in Soweto. We do see them in Rivoli. We do see them on the East Rand. We do see them on the Copper Belt in Zambia. We do see them in Machabeng. You know, so but we don't see them in the suburbs, you know, which are on the other side of the hill or on the other side of the railway line or on on the side that is not impacted, you know. So there is definitely, for as far as we are concerned, linkages and so on. So yes, I think that human rights law needs to come into play, and that those uh, people who are active around human rights law, I know in the Witbank area already there has been a number of cases. Uh, similar to to this, where uh, uh, the Centre for Environmental Rights and so on, uh, Centre for Applied Legal Studies and so on, have gone to court and have won some cases. All right, well, let me thank you both for coming on to the show this morning. Uh, David van Veig, lead researcher at the Benchmark Foundation, and Gugu Gaba, who is with Save the Children. Caroline in Cape Town says uh, the speaker is 100% correct about the potential of abandoned and closed mines. Many are connected to water and have valuable land that can be used for agriculture. The mining companies often pay money into a government fund for rehabilitation, but don't actually do the rehabilitation. It's time for government to use that money in partnership with the private sector and financial institutions and small business development NGOs to get that land under productive use, creating jobs for the youth 
and people and people are formerly employed in the coal mines. Yeah, uh, Caroline, you, you make a very important there about how else uh, that land can be put into good use. And, and the issue of rehabilitation is what David is talking about, that often that rehabilitation does not take place in the way that it is supposed to legislatively and therefore worsens the problem of what happens to that infrastructure once the mines have moved out of town. Well, that's where we come to the end of the program on the talking point for today. Can you believe it? It's Thursday already. Uh, we're in June, so uh, halfway through the year, effectively, uh, we're beginning the month now. And of course, tomorrow we'll be back with you between nine and midday. Coming up at midday, however, will be the update at noon. I'm going to leave you with the book reading.